And I don't want to make mistakes. I don't want people to judge me. I don't want to, you know, feel this sort of really big sense of vulnerability, but I have to if I want to grow. Welcome, everyone, to Culture by Design. This is Tim Clark, and I have with me today, Lindsay Kaplan. First of all, Lindsay, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So happy to have you. I'm happy to be here. Lindsay was born and raised in California. I got to ask, yeah. where? Because California where? is a country. Yeah. <laughs> right? Right. I know. I think that when you're in another country, you say California and you just say San Francisco because that's the next most recognizable place. Yeah. And while I did spend time in San Francisco, I live in Walnut Creek. So the East okay. Bay, East Bay. Bay Area, yeah. Walnut Creek. And that's where I was born. So I'm back. Really? You're back? Yeah. I'm back. Not back. a lot of us leave because if we do, we probably couldn't come back. <laughs> yeah. It's that way, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me share a little bit more about Lindsay. She grew up in a household of all women, two older sisters, and being raised by a single mom. She's been working since she was 16, uh, working all throughout college and ever since. Her mom raised her to be independent, and she realized that she needed to make her own money to do that. She worked within a variety of industries, including retail, technology, sales, beauty, and wellness. She discovered learning and development when she worked for a startup in San Francisco and saw the value of the connection that occurs for new employees when they have a good onboarding program. That's so true yeah. because that's when you first come in. Yeah. You start a new company and it's like the first day of school. And, first day of school, I like You know, it's like yeah. you don't know anyone, you want to make a good impression. It's just a really... It can be really scary and exciting at the same time. That makes sense. I love that. It is the first day of school. She wanted to help people when they needed it the most. And starting a new job and a new company can be one of those most vulnerable and yet exciting moments in your career. So she wanted to be a part of that and shape that experience. That led her into learning and development skills, a progression through instructional design, facilitation, coaching, program design and creating a culture of continuous growth. She currently leads people development at Cliff Bar. I have some in my drawer, by the way. Good. Uh, just they're, so you they're know. They're delicious, right? <laughs> I eat a lot of those. Good. And her team's mantra is to lay the foundation for what truly matters most, purpose, well-being, and personal and professional growth. She is a wife and mother of two. Children are five and eight, both of whom have probably taught her more about herself and her capacity for growth than any career moment. We probably need to come back to that. That's probably. Yeah. Her goal is to help leaders and employees foster a culture of psychological safety, inclusion, and growth. At the end of the day, she helps people do their jobs better while actively adding to a culture of respect and resilience. So Lindsay, when I, I go through that bio and I think, uh, here's a woman with a tremendous work ethic that comes to, to the surface very quickly, a person that resists complacency, a person that uh, leaves the comfort zone willingly and tries to, to build new capacity, a person that is very tuned into humans and what makes them thrive and flourish, 
But did it start out this way when you first went into professional life? Let's just go back a little bit. Yeah. Let's talk about your early years, your formative experiences in professional life. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, like I mentioned in my bio, it's I have really been working since I was 16 and growing up in a pretty affluent area. I don't think many of my friends were doing the same thing. Hmm. I did grow up with house full of women, all who were working, a single mom. So I'm the youngest of three. What was that like, by the way? What was that like? <laughs> yeah. How would you describe that? Hmm. You know, I now reflecting back, I'm so lucky. I'm so lucky to have all these awesome women in my life. At the time, you know, we were women in a house. We <laughs> disagreed with each other. We had fun together. We we fought like sisters because we were sisters. And my mom was sort of in there in the mix too. So it was really fun and it was great. But, um, and yeah, and it was cool to have two older sisters plus a mom to really look up to and kind of make some mistakes before me and teach me what maybe works and what not works. And yeah, I mean, I might, if you asked me during it, I might've given you a different answer, but for right now, I remember all the good stuff. <laughs> that is a wonderful thing. Right. As the youngest, do you feel that you were observant? Were you always watching? Was that, is that part of the way that you grew up? Was that part of your personality? To oh, yeah. Oh, that's a really good question because absolutely. I was able to see what, just talk about my mom, you know, what what she did, how she really became this person who she could be proud of and, and we could be proud of. And I could really see her going from some of the lowest lows to a really just awesome place. She was a single mom when her and my dad divorced. I think that she was, you know, not working at the time and raising children. And so what she had to do was go back to school. She went to beauty school. She became a hairdresser and she created her own business. And she did that for about 30 years before retiring and was able wow. to stay and raise three kids in a really affluent area in a single parent household. So I was able to observe that. And that really did teach me just the importance of finding my own thing mm -hmm. and being independent, which I think can sometimes work against me because I, you know, there was like a little bit of a wall of not wanting to rely on other people or mm -hmm. all the what ifs if I can't take care of myself. But on the plus side, I'm able to take care of myself and I'm able to now show my children what it means to be, you know, an independent working person who yeah. is proud of what I do. What did you take away? When you launched on your own yeah. and you left that environment, did you know where you were going? Did you know what you wanted? No. <laughs> no. What was that like when you initially left the nest? You know, no. I just sort of followed the path that one, if you're privileged enough to follow, you can do. So you go to school, you go to college, you make new friends. You, For me, it was working throughout college too. And so really... I didn't go through the motions, but I did what I thought I was supposed to do, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was always really, you know, I, I really admired people who from day one knew what they wanted to do and had a passion. And for me, it just came a little bit later, mm -hmm. but I'm lucky enough to, when I discovered my passion of learning and development, that it's really stuck and I haven't regretted it. It's, I discovered it and it's like, oh, okay, this fits in so many different ways for me. 
Well, if you look back now, yeah. and it's easy to look back now, but yeah, if you do look back now, do you would you think of it as accidental, or do you say, oh, I can see that the dots are connecting here, and this is it's not so accidental. It's both because it's accidental that it happened the way it did. And I was working for this pretty small, really fun startup in San Francisco. And that in itself was just really cool and fun. And I felt like, oh, I'm so cool living in San Francisco. And I'm working with all these other, you know, young professionals. And I met my husband there, actually. Huh? So that was a plus. So that was <laughs> that good. Oh, well. <laughs> Yeah, God, there's, there's, if I think back, there's so many different relationships and marriages and now kids that came out of that company. So it's pretty funny. So it was accidental in that I didn't go in with the intention of, oh, I'm really going to discover what I want to do here. But when I think back, even when I was younger, the thought of helping others in some sort of capacity and just really being some sort of like counselor, or I thought for a while, oh, maybe I'll be a psychologist or something where I was really connecting with other people and helping them in some capacity. And I loved listening to people's stories and, you know, all those things. And that showed up in a professional way, like I said, with, you know, in the bio, when I was able to see onboarding and just here's people coming into a company and working with new young professionals and really listening to them and helping them and hand-holding a little bit, making them feel really safe and comfortable to start in this new company and this new, you know, professional journey. And that is what clicked with me. It wasn't necessarily, it was the undertones of that work that really connected with me. And so that, I think I would have found that no matter where I went, because Uh, that was my natural, you know, inclination. So was this at the, at the startup in San Francisco where you had this experience and it spoke to you because in startups, as you know, they're small and uh, they often don't even have organized learning and development functions. Yeah. So do you remember a time or an experience? Was there something that happened where the light went on for you and you said, wow, I am really drawn to this. This is, this, this is what I want to do. You know, so in that company, I started off, it was an inside sales company for software. So we sold maintenance contracts for different software and hardware companies. And let's just say that wasn't my passion. (laughs) Sales. (laughs) That wasn't your passion. (laughs) No, it was not. (laughs) Okay. I really admired people who were good at it. And I think I was actually pretty good at sales because I think just connecting with people was always fun with me for me. So, but I knew that that wasn't enough. And I just remember really connecting in my own when I first started and and we had, you know, they actually had a great program. You would be together as a, as a group and you would be with the learning and development onboarders who, you know, walked you through everything you could possibly need to know. And you're in this little like safe bubble before they send you off to the, you know, your teams and have you actually contribute. Oh, right. Yeah. So it was a really cool program. They really prepared you for working at the company and doing sales and all the all the good stuff. So I think just experiencing that and just seeing how helpful it was, how fun it was. And then I remember also, so there, so there was that. And I remember also another mentor or somewhat mentor colleague of mine in my next company just was able to articulate that 
so beautifully about it's really special to be the face or be associated with that experience of onboarding and welcoming people to a company and just how important that is to someone. And that is whether you're initially starting off in your career, which I was at that startup at the time, but, or, you know, if you're changing companies after working in the same place for 10 years, 15, 20 years, no matter what, starting a new place and having that face and that person help you along the way and creating a, a safety and a comfortability and, and starting something new, that's just so vital to your experience and setting the tone. So I wanted to be that. I wanted to be that go-to person. And I think I always, that is what spoke to me. I wanted to be the go-to person that people knew. If I don't know what to do or where to go, or I'm feeling really uncomfortable, I can at least contact Lindsay and she can help. (laughs) So Lindsay, you framed it as the first day of school, which I love. Yeah. Why do you care so much about that? Two. I have two questions. Number one, why do you care so much about that? Number two, have you ever seen it done poorly? Yes, I have. And I think that unfortunately, we've all been thrown for a loop in this pandemic where we were not able to have that in-person human connection. And so we had to replicate onboarding virtually. And sometimes that worked well and sometimes it didn't. And no one knew what they were doing. And still, we don't know what we're doing. But I know that it's really hard. It became really hard. And I I saw a lot of mistakes being made once we all were in this virtual world. And I saw companies welcoming new employees. And there was just such room for disconnection and not being part of a place where you're really next to people and can connect with people. And if you don't know where to go, you don't have someone next to you where you could just ask immediately. And so we've had to relearn that a bit. And I think we've gotten better, at least the experiences that I've had and seen and yeah. been a part of. Do you think it's accurate to say that we are still in a mode of exploration and experimentation as far as this goes? Yeah, I don't think that will ever stop. And I think that's a good thing, although it's an uncomfortable thing, because it feels like, and this is just my own experience, it doesn't feel like we've gotten there yet. Meaning hmm. we're experimenting because we're trying to replicate at least from my experience, what things used to feel like. When I was in the office and I was next to my friends and I was with people and I could go talk to this person and that person and ask questions or just laugh with people. And, you know, like everything we've known up until two and a half years ago, it just sort of went away and we're trying to experiment and replicate that. And I don't think we can replicate that. So we have to maybe change courses and change, I don't know, that, what it means to connect with people or what it means to be successfully onboarded. Like it's just not the same thing anymore. It's not. We're we're trying to compensate for what we lost. Yeah. And we can't do it exactly the same. No, that's a really good point. Let's talk about culture, Lindsay. I would love to know from your perspective, what you've learned about culture, the importance of culture and how you approach it, how you think about it. You're in charge of learning and development at Cliff Bar, an immensely successful organization. Share some of your 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 insights for free with us, would for you? Free? For free. Sure. Well, you know, there's all different types of cultures. And I think one thing that the pandemic has done is caused companies to redefine their culture because maybe what made up their culture 
prior to the pandemic isn't necessarily accurate. And so there's, you know, a lot of office space that can make up a culture and a lot of events that can make up a culture and and that might not exist anymore. And so we're we're all, I think, trying to redefine that. I think that one thing that I have seen that no matter virtual, in-person or where you are, what's really important to a culture is this concept of human leadership. And in human leadership, it is really, you know, seeing examples of our leaders be humans and show vulnerability and show connection as humans. So we're trying to, you know, we're, we're sort of blurring the boundaries, meaning, you know, leaders have to not kind of show this leadership and connection of I'm a leader, you're an employee, but like we're both humans. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's hard. I think it's a lot because you still have to lead the business and you still have to get feedback and set expectations, but you also have to connect on a human level. So, you know, in doing a little bit of research on or not a little bit of research, but some research on the idea and the concept of human leadership, it really has given me the language for everything that I've seen work well in cultures whether it's on both on the leadership side and then just how it trickles down and impacts an organization and, it, and its culture. What would be the opposite of human leadership? And how does that get in the way? Because we're responding to a need, right? Yeah. We're saying that in some cases, we haven't done this very well in the past. Yeah. So what's the opposite? I think it's fear. I think that fear has really held, I know I'll just speak for me personally. And then also what I've seen from leaders in the past, whether it it be my own leaders or, or other leaders, I think that fear and anything that can hold you back from that vulnerability and connecting with someone and showing up as a human, that's the opposite. And so you're leading from a fear a place of fear or your, you know, you don't want to connect on a human level or or whatever, however it shows up, you know, because you don't want to blur that line of, well, we're not friends, I'm your superior, or, you know, you can't see me make mistakes because I'm supposed to be the one who knows what I'm doing, or I'm not letting you in on my thoughts and fears because I'm the leader and I'm the one who's supposed to be doing everything perfectly. So maybe fear-based leadership. <laughs> so some of it's based on accountability, right? The assumption that you can't hold people accountable if you get too close to them. Right. Is that part of it? I think so. I think it's hard because the complexities of being a leader has really grown, especially over these last couple of years, right? Because we're not only as leaders trying to navigate performance, but we're trying to navigate society and world issues and pandemics and technology. And so it's a really hard thing to do. Leaders have it really hard. No, that's a really good point, Lindsay. You're, you're making a really good point here, which is there's an extra burden. Oh, yeah. Right? There's an extra burden that's been put on leaders, especially since the pandemic. And you're responsible for keeping your employees plugged in, mm-hmm. engaged, and it's easy for them to unplug and so you're you're the human connection for them. You're the repository of their fears, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully. Yeah. So there's a bigger burden. Yep. So what you're saying is that it's gotten harder. The leadership has gotten harder. Absolutely. And I think that 
those of us who committed to being leaders five years ago, we might need to recommit to this. It might not be, it's not the same. So how has that, how would you describe the way that the employer-employee compact or agreement Mm -hmm. or relationship has changed? What else do you see that's changed that has implications for the leader. So I got to be a different leader. You just said, I need to revisit. Mm -hmm. So I started managing people five years ago. Here I am. I need to revisit this question. Yeah. I mean, it really, I think you just have to ask yourself, do I really, am I committed to being a human leader? So human leadership is really the combination of being authentic, being empathetic and being adaptive. And that means that it might have worked well to take more of a blanket approach to leading a team before the world has changed. And that's that doesn't mean that leaders since the you know beginning of time haven't been great and showing up as these human leaders and really connecting with people. But sometimes the path upward, the only way to do that in certain organizations is to be a people leader. And it might not be what we're good at or what we want to do. And so really, if we're recommitting to this, it needs to be, can I lead with authenticity? Can I connect on a human level? Can I show my own vulnerability and have that be my strength and not my weakness? Can I be empathetic to my team member who's working from home and has kids at home and is trying to do it all? (laughs) Or on the other side, my person who's working in the office and no one else is there, or my person who's working from home and has been alone for, you know, the last couple of years. Okay. So I want to ask you a question. Yeah. Let's do a little hypothetical. Okay. So I work in your organization. Yeah. I just, I'm just thinking of this and I come into your office and I say, Lindsay, and I'm, I'm pretty early in my career, but I share with you, I say, Lindsay, I'm a high drive individual. You can see from my background, my resume, that I've performed well wherever I've gone. I have aspirations for senior leadership. This is what I want to do. And I don't really love uh, managing people. (laughs) It's not my jam. That's not where I get my burn. And so what would you say to me? So it depends. If I had, you know, all the power in the world to really create what upward mobility and growth looks like in an organization, your only option wouldn't be to be a people leader. And I think that, you know, it's a bit more traditional to say, hey, as we move up, we have to lead others. Not most. (laughs) I'm going to make a sweeping generalization. Most people probably don't want to lead others. I just want to contribute and I want to do what I'm good at. And I don't want to worry about those other three people. And that's okay. Yeah. And that's okay. I think that you can be high performing and be successful in whatever that means to you without leading others. But I think that you know, you need to place yourself in a organization that allows for that, allows for that growth and have, you know, having those expectations that those of us who lead others are doing so because they want to, and they're good at it. I love that. You should be leading processes or resources or technology or projects or whatever. But if it's not in your heart, you probably should not be leading humans. Yeah. That's not going to go well. No, it's not. And then those other humans are not going to be able to thrive. So, yeah, I think that we kind of need to take a look at our organizations and just make sure that we have growth opportunities in 
other areas and also those of us who are leading others really want to do so. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Let's come back to the the concept of vulnerability a little bit, Lindsay. Okay. Can you share with us any experiences that you've had with vulnerability in professional life? Yeah, I'll say I was at an organization when the pandemic happened, the George Floyd murder happened, and Black Lives Matter was a more common set of language, much more than it ever had been, even though it wasn't new. The organization I was at at the time, I think did a really great job of showing leadership examples and like giving a space, creating a space for leaders to share their stories. And so we had affinity groups at the time. And so the Black African-American affinity group was in, had invited all employees to be a part of their session, their, their meeting. And so they met, you know, from time to time and met and created events and shared stories and all that kind of stuff. And after all this happened, they had invited all employees, no matter what race you were, what gender you were, to just listen. And it was such a powerful hour. We had people from all levels, but really senior leaders share stories from growing up sharing stories of what it was like to be African-American and being, you know, raising children and having to teach them things that me as a white person has never considered that I need to teach my own child because I have had the privilege to not have to think about it. And just the level of vulnerability and personal stories and fears and thoughts that they these leaders and people within this affinity group were able to share. It was so powerful and it just really, I'll never forget it. And I'm so grateful for being invited to hear that and having it be a space that was created internally and really just, you know, that, that our own CEO at the time was proud of this. And I just thought it was so special and so powerful. And I, I thought that that was really, I'd never seen anything like that before. You think others felt what you felt? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That time, I think we'll all remember, but I think that that moment, at least for me, and just seeing that space of vulnerability from from others and other leaders who were really high up title wise, mm -hmm. it just made a mark. And I think that I'll never forget it and it will forever change. What would surprise, you know, just the being able to see a level of vulnerability from a leader like that, I had never seen that before. And it was just so, um, yeah, it was so impactful and so important. And I definitely think that others who were in the meeting felt the same way. That's a breakthrough. Yeah, for sure. I've often said, Lindsay, that I, I've never seen a single organization create a deeply inclusive culture out no. of compliance. No. I've never seen that happen. Not one time. Right. And yet I see many organizations that are pursuing that goal out of compliance. Yeah. So what do you, when you say compliance, can I ask you a question? Yeah, sure. When you say compliance, do you mean like, hey, here's what we're all going to learn. You all have to take it. Or yeah. here, what do you mean when you say compliance? Yeah, just the re requirements. You have to do this and you have to yeah. do this in terms of training and rules and all of these things that you're now required to do 
Right. Okay, that's fine, but we're not going to get there. Right. Right. That's what moves us. I think we get there through, as an example, what you just shared. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I've seen, I've been lucky enough to, you know, at my current company at Cliff Bar, we've done a really good job through navigating different changes throughout the years. You know, every company goes through changes and what's been really important to us and our culture is, you know, the same thing that I just, this thing, kind of along those same lines of the example I just shared, but creating spaces for people to come together and just share their thoughts and their feelings and ask questions. And there might not be answers and that's, it's not a training. There's no answers. There's no end result other than just hearing each other and feeling safe enough to do so. That's what there's connecting too. going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Lindsay, talk about vulnerability at a personal level. So what can you share with us at a personal level in your own journey? It's funny when you said, hey, what's the opposite of like human leadership yeah. and thinking of fear? That is something I have experienced. I think that fear in my life has held me back in so many different ways, as I'm sure it does most people, or maybe not. <laughs> it leaves it out for me. My own journey with vulnerability, it's, I'm still working on it. I'm still trying to create spaces where I can challenge myself and put myself out there and sort of let go a little bit. For me, I would say there's a couple of important things in my life that have really shaped my own, you know, working through vulnerability or, or, or working through fear rather. One, just my experience with anxiety. I've had pretty debilitating bouts of anxiety throughout my life, starting in young adulthood. No idea why, what caused it. That's something I learned that you, you, if you try to figure out why, that's just, you're trying to control it. And the more you try to control it, the worse it gets. So I'm trying to let that piece go. But that was something with anxiety that really held me back. And it made me be afraid to create change in my life, do anything that felt uncomfortable because I didn't want to experience anxiety. And I was just trying to avoid at all costs. Mm-hmm. It definitely came to a head after I had my my son, my second child, where I just felt it more. And it was just, it got pretty debilitating. And, and so I got to a point where I just said, you know what, I need help. I need to let go. I need to ask my husband for help. I need to ask, you know, I need to go and seek professional help. Like I really need to help myself and acknowledge it and talk about it. So working through all that and just not hiding it anymore, but actually sharing it was so freeing for me. And so, yeah, I just kind of took away some of the shame and actually welcomed so many conversations with other people who had the same experience and allowed me to connect with others. Okay. Let me, let me, let me stop you right there and ask you something. Right. So are you saying that among other things, but just sharing helps? Yes. Just sharing. Oh yeah. Just sharing helps. Whatever it is you're trying to avoid, it'll just keep being a pain point until you let it go. So the amount of relief and freedom that I felt was saying, you know what, I have really bad anxiety or, you know, I have been suffering and I'm, you know, I want to tell my story. I actually loved your, one of your previous guests, I think her name was Vanka. Yes. And telling your story. From Norway. to me so much because it's like, yeah, this is my story. And everyone has a story and probably none of them are perfect and we're all flawed. 
And if you even want to think of it as a flaw, but it's just who makes me who I am. So yeah, I had a really powerful moment where I was leading a workshop and it was virtual. So that felt safer to me maybe, but (laughs) I was leading a workshop and there were a little over a thousand retail professionals on the call and the topic. Only a thousand. Only a thousand. Yeah. Okay. But no no need to be worried. (laughs) (laughs) No. Hey, I couldn't see them. So it's safe. Right. Yeah. The topic was around mental health and, you know, how do you support your team's mental health? And I shared my own story and just my own struggle with anxiety. And it was just such a moment that maybe people didn't even, some people probably were like, no big thing. For me, it was such a big deal because I I didn't even tell my own family for a while. And so to sort of let this little secret out with thousands of strangers was so freeing. And then the response that I got back, I mean, I got so many responses saying, thank you so much for sharing that. I can relate. You know, it's like, what are we all hiding? We're all feeling the same way. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. So I think another theme or topic that you feel strongly about, Lindsay, is growth. Mm -hmm a growth mindset, a learning mindset, how we think about mistakes, Mm -hmm. how we think about experiences where it doesn't go so well, how we think about complacency. Share with us a little bit about what you've learned in this area as someone now who's worked with thousands of professionals to help them advance, to help them grow, right? Right. Yeah. It's funny being in learning development and development. I I think I might even take for granted that everyone knows what a growth mindset is and how important it is. And I I don't think everyone does. And, you know, what I have learned is just, yes, you have it. Everything starts with self-awareness and what is holding you back. What might be causing complacency in your life? And what are you again, going back to fear? What are you afraid of? And so the conscious choice to take on and allow yourself to grow takes vulnerability. It takes, you know, taking a risk, taking on a challenge and doing something uncomfortable and making mistakes. And I don't want to make mistakes. I don't want people to judge me. I don't want to, you know, feel this sort of really big sense of vulnerability, but I have to, if I want to grow. And Anytime I have felt complacent, I've tried to challenge myself to move forward and to do something that scares me and nothing else will move me forward other than that. Something that scares you. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, making a mistake. I remember my first project. (laughs) I started a new company. I felt really good about myself. I had great onboarding and the first project that I took on was creating a a learning and development program. I won't get into the details, but, you know, I I thought I was doing a great job. I thought, you know, this is, I'm really going to wow my team and my colleagues. And it felt like kind of going back to school and turning in a paper and then getting it back. And it's just covered in red marks and like, no, no, no. Like I got a big fat F on the test. And so you got a little feedback. I got some feedback and it wasn't so good. And I had, you know, reflecting back, I would say, okay, I took a good couple hours to feel like I was not good at my job and to feel like I really messed up and I'm bad at this and I'm just going to quit and go home and, you know, sit in it for a while, little, little pity party for me. (laughs) And then I thought, no, this is where I grow. 
this is where I say, okay, I messed up. I have courageous enough people around me to say, this isn't cutting it and we need to do better and I need to move forward and I need to learn from that. And I've been able to do that. And it's not fun necessarily. It's not easy, yeah. but there's no growth in doing everything perfectly. You Fun's not the mess. word, right? Lindsay, fun's not the word, but I think I can relate to what you're saying. And I think back on those kind of experiences and and I think that they are both painful and exhilarating at the same time. Yeah. Is is that fair? 100%. It's funny. It's, you, you know, going back to anxiety, it's like, it's the sister of excitement. It's all that similar, That's you know, right. right? It's that adrenaline and it causes a feeling and feelings are good because you know, that makes us move forward and grow and learn. So that's really true. Yeah. As you look forward, Lindsay, at the world of work, what are you really excited about? Maybe you could share something that you're really excited about and something that you are concerned about, worried about. Mm, I think that I'm excited for change. We've been changing and we talked about we're still experimenting. I'm excited for my organization, other organizations to really think outside the box and redefine kind of everything, how things are done. Over the last couple of years, I feel like everyone has really had at least one moment where they're like, why am I doing it this way? Why am I, why have I been doing whatever it is this way? It's not, it's not working or there's no rules. So I'm excited to be in this space of, I don't want to say there's no rules, but maybe there's less rules or there's different rules. And it's an opportunity to really redefine how we work together and redefine how we connect and redefine how we get stuff done. And I just think it's really cool and exciting. So I'm excited for that. I love that. Do you know what that makes me think of? I love what you said. Most of the time we ask the question, why are we doing it this way? Yeah. But you framed it differently. You said, why am I doing it this way? I think that makes all the difference. If we learn to self-diagnose and self-correct, it reminds me of I, um, a couple of days ago, the famous author David McCullough died. Mm-hmm. And I read his obituary and I he, he said something that I thought was brilliant. He said, to be a, a great writer, the, the central question is, can you edit yourself. And this this really connects, I think, Lindsay, with what you're saying. And I, I'm so glad you framed it that way. Why am I doing it this well? That is an act of self-editing. Mm-hmm. Thank you for saying it that way. Yeah. Thanks for calling it out. I didn't realize that I did. But No, it's a great insight. Yeah. And then back to what, what are you concerned about? Mm, I'm concerned about a lot of things. <laughs> I'm concerned about burnout. I'm concerned about, you know, even though we're redefining how we connect, I am concerned about the lack of connection. I'm just concerned about just the potential feeling of being a little bit lost because we are still trying to figure things out and what to do next. And parameters and guardrails are there for a reason because they do make us feel a little bit safe. And so while it's exciting to maybe not have them in the same way, 
it's this unstable feeling. So I do think that there's a lot of burnout that I've seen over the last few years because there's such a blurred line between, you know, going back to being a human leader. It's like we're expected to perform, connect, produce results, support each other. We're, there's so many expectations and it's sometimes hard to turn it off. And sometimes we just need to turn it off. Yeah. And I hope that people are learning to do that and taking care of themselves. It's so important um, to take care of yourself. You have to take care of yourself. If you're going to take care of your kids, if you're going to take care of your team, if you're going to be a contributing member of your team or a partner, like you have, I mean, like put the mask on yourself first, right? In the airplane, you have to take care of yourself first. That's true. And that can be sometimes hard to do. That's so true. And when we talk about high performance, we're talking about high performance over time. Yeah. We don't want you to burn hot and then burn cold. Yeah. I mean, that can happen. It's like, okay, I'm going, going, going. And then I'm just, I'm done. I hit a wall. Yeah. We're seeing a lot of that. Yeah. Well, Lindsay, I, I can't thank you enough for your insights, for uh, what you're doing in the field to help us all understand uh, where we need to go, what changes we need to make. And thank you for being so willing to share your own personal experience as well. It's extremely insightful, and I think it's going to help so many, many people. So I can't thank you enough. Thank you. This was delightful, and it's um, thanks for giving me a platform to do this. I think that it's a really, it's a really important experience for us to be able to have that space to just share. And so I just appreciate you to allow me to do that. Oh, it's it's just it's our pleasure. Thanks for joining me today on the Culture by Design podcast. Be sure to subscribe and listen to new episodes every week. And if you'd like to see more of the work we're doing, go to leaderfactor.com.